With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags, posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. I, I don't think there is, like, in my vision, there should be some large element that has its head fully into un fully into unconventional warfare and can tap all of the assets the US Army would deploy. I think it's scattered, it's all over the place, you know, even even Army Special Forces, uh, you know, where I came from with a little bit of time in the civil affairs too, you, you know, they have their, their heads in both worlds and, and other worlds too. Hi, and welcome to the 1CA podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and we're joined by Greg Banner, retired lieutenant colonel. Greg grew up in an Air Force family and graduated from the United States Military Academy in 1979 as an infantry officer. In 1981, he transitioned into the Special Forces and joined 5th Group. After the advanced course, he returned to the 82nd Airborne Division and served in 1st Battalion, 325th Infantry. He then returned to Special Forces, serving in the 7th group and later 10th group with some civil affairs time in the late 80s and early 90s. During his time in the Army, he served around the world with deployments in Jordan, Germany, El Salvador, Iraq, Bosnia, and Africa. He retired from the military in 2000 and has since been working with the Department of Health and Human Services. Sir, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Really great to be with you all today. Well, really, uh, I wanted to reach out to you because you wrote an article in Army Magazine talking about unconventional warfare and training and the connection to civil affairs was, was pretty evident. So I'm wondering if we can look at the big picture to begin with. So you start this article by writing, quote, while the key focus of the US Army has always been on fighting conventional wars, soldiers have been mostly involved in unconventional ones since the days of Vietnam, end quote. Why is that the case? Well, I think as I, as I wrote the article, uh, I think it's an expression of fact. You know, Vietnam was obviously an unconventional war. We've had a lot of smaller ones since, even though we've had a couple of, you know, little blips on the horizon, Panama, Grenada, Gulf One, Gulf Two, but the rest of it has pretty much been in an unconventional environment. And I think it's, it's really the reality of the historical picture. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen that written by... Um some historians as well, looking back at all the different conflicts and smaller skirmishes, certainly unconventional, proves that fact, I would say. Now, I wanted to connect what you've written in your background. I gave a brief bio of, of what you've done in your Army career, but what would you say, sir, is in your background that provides some insight for the lack of training for unconventional warfare? When I went into West Point in, in 75, all of my instructors were Vietnam veterans. So that, you know, historical example was, was all around us. 
Um, and of course you see them, you know, in their uniforms and you kind of understand a bit about the war, not a whole lot, but I became really interested even at the, the first year there in Vietnam. And I would say pertinent to this article, I, I really specifically was interested in trying to learn what, you know, what went wrong, I guess, basically, or what we could do better because looking out at my future career, I wanted to take a look at, at this example and say, okay, what's going on? Well, it seemed to me the, the army was totally in the mode of let's get this behind us. You know, we don't, you know, that was an aberration. That was a blip on the horizon. We're never going to do it again. So let's get back to fighting the Russians for world war three, which, you know, we understood that was the biggest threat. If that, if it came down to it, we wanted to do that. Right. So I, I get that piece. I get the conventional piece. We want to have the basis in a good conventional army, but I have always thought that that unconventional conflict was looming out there for us somewhere, and it was going to happen again. So I started studying. I uh, I kind of had a dual interest. Military history was the biggest, and then I kind of had the secondary interest in international affairs, languages. I like languages a lot, but I pretty much everything I studied was unconventional warfare. And again, I really did have a focus on how are we going to do it the next time? And I understood a bit about special forces and kind of their niche, but I saw it as a much bigger picture. This was an all of government uh, conflict and an all of government issue. It wasn't a little SF element is going to win the, you know, the big unconventional warfare for you. No, you know, they can't do it. They don't have the size of the assets. So everything I studied. So I did. My undergrad at West Point, studying all kinds of unconventional warfare, that was my focus. And then eventually I ended up with two different master's degrees focusing in the same area. And all my reading in between was almost all Vietnam, unconventional warfare, and with this bent towards how do we do the big one next time. Um, when I went to Fort Leavenworth for Command and General Staff College, uh, I took the, I did the uh, master's military arts and sciences there, and, and I had two big possibilities for my thesis that I thought about, again, with this mindset. The first one was specifically how to use U.S. Army conventional forces in an unconventional environment. Boy, if I had done that, I, you know, I don't know if I would have been a prophet and they would have pulled it out when we went to Iraq and Afghanistan. I have no idea if it would have been any good whatsoever, but that would have been pretty neat to see that. But I ended up doing a Vietnam topic. I did a kind of a purely historical study, which was different, but it was in my mind and it always has been. That's great to hear. And it's great also to hear that you were, you've been a lifelong learner, which I'm sure helped you in your career as well in the forces that you were with. And um, so you argue that the DOD doesn't understand the unconventional battlefield, that it's different and requires as much time as it does in effort to prepare for. My question is trying to get at, do you think that military leaders since Vietnam don't know the difference? Or do you think that the institution simply focuses more on the conventional fights than the unconventional fights? Is it a lack of understanding or just like, hey, we need to get ready for the big one and let's put the unconventional fight as a lesser priority? Yeah, I think all of the above. I think it is a much more complicated environment and it takes a different mindset. It takes a different background and training, which is kind of the focus of my article. And I think the conventional warfare is a comfort zone that is easier for the conventional army to get their hands around. And again, I, I give it credit for needing, I mean, you need full-time professionals 
that do have that focus on conventional warfare, uh, because that's that when that big one comes, that's what we want to win and we want to do the best at. So I, I get that piece and I take nothing away from it. But in my whole experience, and again, I saw this when I first came in the Army, you know, the Army just wanted to put it behind us. They did not want, they, they didn't want to even mess with UW anymore. That was what, that was a one-time thing. That was Vietnam. You know, let's get back to the World War III scenario. Uh, I saw it during my active career. I'll tell one war story. Um, this would have been 94, I think, uh, when we were gearing up for Bosnia. I did a... Uh, rotation at the um, JOTC at Fort Polk. And I was the, the special ops lead. I took my company down there uh, and we we're doing the first peacekeeping scenario, getting ready for Bosnia. So a lot of things thrown in there, a lot of twists and turns that had to do with that environment. I was there on the ground, maybe a week, week and a half doing my thing. And then a brigade from the 82nd came in. They jumped in and I met the brigade commander on the drop zone. And there was absolutely no doubt in my mind, his focus. He wanted to get this peacekeeping garbage behind him so he could do some fighting. And the, the scenario was built so it would go that way because he wanted to get some you know, raids, ambushes, attacks, defenses. He wanted to do that. But the, the peacekeeping piece, he just wanted to get out of the way. That's all he, you know. And to me, that really cemented my view of the way the conventional army views that environment. It wasn't anything they wanted to spend any time on. Yeah, you get a manual here, you get a, you know, you have maybe a class at the key schools, but nothing really focused. Yeah, I, I would say that's happening today too. So what you went through is, is really not much different. I, I think go through some CTC uh, combat training center rotations these days and uh, pretty similar. You know, they, they try to force things one way or another, but uh, I think a brigade commander from a conventional unit is going to try to meet those training objectives that he or she has for the conventional unit. So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll go into some other questions about your article, the organization and training aspects of unconventional warfare and some ideas that you have. So we'll bring it back. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. Something for everyone. The world traveler, the civil engager, the warrior diplomat. We got t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs, from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Repping the present teams of the global war on terror, with items for citizen soldiers of use of KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. 
Collections include suits and shoots for fans of jumping out of airplanes and looking good, Pineland to remember your trip to the People's Republic, and Lewis and Clark to honor the two party animals who popularized huge DTS vouchers. You want Pipox? We got Pipox. New items all the time. Custom flags, stickers, and shirts? Send us an email. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at LC38Brand or contact us at info at LC38Brand.com. LC38Brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Do you have an idea for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview? Contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Welcome back to the 1CA Podcast. My name is John McElligot, and we're speaking today with retired Lieutenant Colonel Greg Banner. So you're going back to this article that you wrote in Army Magazine. The main focus, as you mentioned before, is how the U.S. Army should prepare to fight the next major counterinsurgency um, for the next 20, 30 years. So U.S. military is, you know, we've got different units and different people who are looking at the future fight, the capabilities, the armaments, the technologies that we need for the next 20, 30 years. But the training and doctrine that is needed for unconventional warfare and counterinsurgencies is different. You recommend leaders of light and heavy divisions be divided with those in heavy divisions trained for conventional warfare and those in light divisions trained for unconventional warfare, UW. This is kind of like hedging the bet for future fights, right? My question for you is what ratio or percentage of the force do you think should focus on conventional versus unconventional? Like where do we put more of our eggs in a basket or the other? The way I explained it in the article is, and and I'm behind, I'm admittedly behind on the current force structure and how things are laid out. But the way I kind of envisioned a, a starting point for the discussion is heavy and light divisions in the army. Whatever that ratio is, let's let's at least start with that. Let's run with it. So maybe let's say a quarter or a third of the divisions. Okay. So it's less important to know about the actual ratio, but really just that the main idea is whatever it is, is more than what we have now. That we need to have more people trained in unconventional warfare. Those people who are in light divisions make more sense. For people who don't understand what a light division is, uh, there are some listeners who come from USAID, NGO background. Could you explain briefly the difference between a heavy division with tanks and armor and light division with dismounted infantry, like how that lends itself to unconventional warfare? Yeah, so the what we call the heavy divisions are predominantly, well, they are mechanized, motorized. They have a lot more vehicles, big armored vehicles. And they're really designed going back to the World War II, you know, moving across Europe and then the World War III environments uh, where you're doing force on force, big battle things. Basically what you think of as, you know, war fighting on a huge scale with massive armies, Uh, the kind of stuff we did in the first and second Gulf War. You know, those those invasions where we've got tanks and armored personnel carriers and, you know, that's what they do. And that's what their focus is on, on doing all those kind of battles. Well, the light forces, even though they are often very motorized, uh, you know, they have a lot of wheeled vehicles, their their ability and their equipment is to be able to move faster, to be transported faster because they don't have nearly as much equipment and then to fight in environments that are much less, much less conducive to big armored vehicles. So you think more about jungle environments, 
you know, you think about uh, maybe high mountainous environments, you know, the Afghanistan, it's basically troops on the ground, fundamentally walking, even though, like I say, there, I mean, there's a lot of motorized stuff now, even special operations has gone highly motorized, but it, it, that's kind of the split. It makes sense in my mind to divide up. And if you want to have a, a force that's deliberately focusing on unconventional warfare, just seems to me a natural fit and something easy for people to grasp is, you know, let the, the, let the heavy divisions focus on conventional warfare, you know, big units, big vehicles, things like that. And then the unconventional divisions uh, focusing more on those, those odd unconventional warfare environments uh, because they've got the forces that are more conducive to those kind of fights, I think. Yeah, exactly. And um, so my understanding is the divisions that we have in the U.S. Army right now, 1st Armored Division, Old Iron Ironsides at Fort Bliss, uh, 1st Cav, Infantry Divisions, many, uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 7th, 10th Mountain, 25th ID, uh, 82nd, 101st. So we've got a bunch of infantry divisions. And the, the force structure, you know, is structured right now around the BCT, the Brigade Combat Team. So that's the way that we're aligning units and um, regionally aligning a bunch of these units as well, including civil affairs forces, right? So within the, the reserve side or the 95th, those battalions are aligned regionally, not meaning that they have to go there, but those forces would support the people that you're talking about as well. So let's cover the, the organization and training aspects of unconventional warfare. You wrote in the article how branch proponents should have sections dedicated to unconventional fights in a senior headquarters responsible for training across the Army and DOD. Now, there are some structures that we currently have. There's USASOC and US, and US SOCOM that already have part of that mission. How would you change what's currently happening? And for example, are we not training enough soldiers for unconventional fights through those units like USASOC and US SOCOM? Again, being a little out of touch with the current military but reading a lot and trying to stay up on what's going on, you know, I, I look at units like U.S. SOCOM and they are mostly direct action. You know, when you, you have to go down several layers to hit Army Special Forces, Civil Affairs, PSYOPs, I, I don't think there is like in my vision, there should be some large element that has its head fully into un fully into unconventional warfare and can tap all of the assets the U.S. Army would deploy. I think it's scattered. It's all over the place. You know, even, even Army Special Forces, uh, you know, where I came from with a little bit of time in the civil affairs, too, you, you know, they have their, their heads in both worlds and, and other worlds, too. And so there's not a major element, major command that, that tries to pull it all in and is responsible for building that army that can go fight a, an unconventional war you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now. And that's kind of the crux of my, my argument in my article. To move in that direction, what do you think are some needed steps? What do we need to do next to, to move toward having this alignment for training, for example, or, you know, working the light and the heavy divisions and, and having the structure that we need? Yeah, well, obviously is to get the vision of what we want and to come up with that vision statement. What, it, what is the force that we want to be able to take to the next unconventional war? Do we want to spend the time to do it? Uh, after Vietnam, we didn't. You're telling me from your view, maybe we're not doing it now. So we've got all this huge experience from Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, what, 
you know, where's it going? Did that get thrown behind us? And, you know, let's get back to conventional war. And I'm thinking that's the way we are right now. So I, I think to have the vision, to have somebody grasp that idea that we really do want to get ready for the next one, whenever it comes, it might be decades, but it's going to come again. Let's just assume that. And then build a structure that can actually implement what's needed. And I think that has to be a very senior command level somewhere. I think the challenge is in mostly the conventional army. So it has to be some conventional headquarters, maybe a piece of force, forces command. I, you know, I don't know where that would be, but someplace that can give the, the horsepower behind this effort. And then you have to have the impetus across the force at the army schools, all of the branches. And my, part of my proposal is that, you know, along with the light divisions that are in this world, the support elements that are aligned with them should likewise have a UW focus, whether it's aviation, artillery, obviously civil affairs, psyops, but intelligence is a big one. I'm, I'm suggesting that you should have intelligence officers who from their start at the basic course, you know, when they first come in as lieutenants that they have either a conventional or unconventional focus. So you come up with, you know, military intelligence, lieutenants, captains, majors, colonels, whatever, who has spent their whole career studying how to apply military intelligence to unconventional environments. I, I think we need that across all branches and the entire force. So you gotta have a structure that, that does that, makes it happen, supports it, and has it ready to go to war when needed. That's a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of moving parts. And uh, I mean, if you wanna get ready for future fights like that, then you gotta start soon. My final question for you, sir, is how receptive to your approach do you think decision makers in the Pentagon and Congress may be? This is quite a shift. Yeah, boy, that's that's the tough one. You know, we have we have several examples in, in fairly recent history, or at least in my career, where DOD didn't want to budge on certain things and it took Congress to tell them. I, I think that is the story behind the forming of US SOCOM. I think it's the story behind the, the evolution and joint doctrine. I think Goldwater's Nichols was the uh, law that forced jointness on the military. It's got to be a, um, it's not a quandary, but I would say the military should be embarrassed that it takes civilian congressmen to force them to do some of the things that are right and that are needed. What I would love to see is if at the joint level, I guess that goes to the chairman, uh, is, to, is to say this, we need to do this. We need to, you know, make this a priority. We need to build the force that's going to fight the next unconventional war. Let's not put it behind us and hope it doesn't happen again. Let's assume it will and, and let's build it. Uh, you know, can they do that? Can they fight all the services? Can they fight all in the army? Can they fight all the branches? Can they get the branches to, you know, spend time and focus? And can you turn the light divisions towards an unconventional focus? Will the conventional infantry, probably mostly army, accept that? I have my doubts because history says they haven't. So maybe it will take congressional movement, but how do you educate them? Do you grab the right congressman and that pushes it through? Or, I, you know, I don't know. The, me the mechanics of that are tough, but it has happened in the past. And maybe that's our only hope. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's often a lack of inertia and that you got to start with the vision you're talking about and then have some champions who are pushing this over and over and over until you break through. So this has been a fascinating discussion. I, I think it's definitely worth continuing the conversation. I hope that people will have this argument because it's very, very important and uh, will impact whether we're really prepared for unconventional fights that we know will be coming as well. 
Lieutenant Colonel Greg Banner, retired from the U.S. Army, uh, sir, infantry officer, worked in SF as well, and some CA units. Thank you so much for coming on the 1CA podcast. Thanks a lot. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the global war on terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job.